Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Thursday January 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. That would be episode 141. Uh, uh, thank you for joining me this morning. I want to apologize for episode 140. I did not realize that my audacity that was recording had swapped over settings. So that thing entirely recorded from the onboard microphones from the laptop instead of my external microphone, which is obviously much better quality. Um, I hope it wasn't too bad. I, I didn't realize it till after I'd done it and saved it. Um, and actually uploaded it for publishing. So I apologize. I hope it's not too bad. Um, I did, you know, clean up the signal and stuff, um, even before having realized all that, but I hope it wasn't too bad. Uh, I want to continue to point out to you the links at the bottom of the, uh, show notes. Um, definitely, you know, the links for our Bible reading plan that we're going through, um, within our, within our podcast, as well as the link for the McShane, um, I, I would definitely implore you to uh, encourage and encourage you to use it for your own personal reading. Um, as I am, I, it, it's just a wonderful reading plan and I would definitely encourage it. I just wanted to do something different for this year than we did for the last third of last year. So, um, and then there's also a link there from our church, the Vale Valley Baptist church for our give sin go campaign. Uh, we are striving to get our mortgage paid off quickly so that we can uh, dive in and get get it paid off so we can dive in and start to establish and get set up um, a traditional Christian-based school for our kids and our grandkids. We, we want to get that set up and going so we can have a trustworthy place where we can have our children educated. Um, there, are, there are a number of us that are doing homeschooling and stuff like that right now. But we really want to expand our ability and, and, and provide beyond what our congregation is to provide a place for people that are not even part of our congregation that can have a place they can trust to send their children. Um, and I'm not going to go into details about why we need a trustworthy worthy place. I, I'll let you draw conclusions from that. Um, and you can contact me personally if you want that information, but I don't feel like putting it on this podcast is appropriate. So but it being Thursday, that is the fifth day of the week, we are going to go ahead and open up like we usually do with the fifth day morning prayer called the giver, the giver. Let's pray. Creator, upholder, and proprietor of all things, we cannot escape from thy presence and control, nor do we desire to do so. Our privilege is to be under the agency of thy omnipotence, righteousness, wisdom, patience, mercy, and grace. For thou art love with more than parental affection. We admire thy goodness stand in awe of thy power, abase ourselves before thy purity. It is the discovery of thy goodness alone that can banish our fear. Allure us into thy presence, help us to bewail and confess our sins. We review our past guilt and are conscious of present unworthiness. We bless thee that thy steadfast love and attributes are essential to our happiness and hope. 
Thou hast witnessed to us thy grace and mercy in the bounties of nature, in the fullness of thy providence, in the revelations of Scripture, in the gift of thy Son, in the proclamation of the gospel. Make us willing to be saved in thy own way, perceiving nothing in ourselves but all in Jesus. Help us not only to receive him, but to walk in him, depend upon him, commune with him, follow him as dear children, imperfect but still pressing forward, not complaining of labor, but valuing rest, not murmuring under trials, but thankful for our state, and by so doing let us silence the ignorance of foolish men. Amen. All right, now our morning devotion for January 19th. Um, the text is uh, Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, as I would prefer to call it, 3-1. I sought him, but I found him not. Tell me where you lost the company of Christ, and I will tell you the most likely place to find him. Have you lost Christ in the closet by restraining prayer? Then it is there you must seek and find him. Did you lose Christ by sin? You will find Christ in no other way but by the giving up of the sin and seeking by the Holy Spirit to mortify the member in which the lust doth dwell. Did you lose Christ by neglecting the scriptures? You must find Christ in the scriptures. It is a true proverb. Look for a thing where you dropped it. It is there. So look for Christ where you lost him, for he has not gone away. But it is hard work to go back for Christ. Bunyan tells us the pilgrim found the piece of the road back to the arbor of ease where he lost his role, the hardest he had ever traveled. Twenty miles onward is easier than to go one mile back for the lost evidence. Take care then when you find your master to cling close to him. But how is it you have lost him? One would have thought you would never have parted with such a precious friend and who, whose presence is so sweet, whose words are so comforting, and whose company is so dear to you. How is it that you did not watch him every moment for fear of losing sight of him? Yet since you have let him go, what a mercy that you are seeking him, even though you mournfully groan, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Go on seeking, for it is dangerous to be without thy Lord. Without Christ you are like a sheep without its shepherd, like a tree without water at its roots, like a sere leaf in the tempest, not bound to the tree of life. With thine whole heart seek him, and he will be found, found of thee, only give thyself thoroughly up to the search, and verily thou shalt yet discover him to thy joy and gladness. All right. And now on to our reading. We're going to be reading through Genesis 39, 40, and into 41. So, starting in Genesis 39, hear the word of the Lord. Now Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian official of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had bought him, brought him down there. And Yahweh was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that Yahweh was with him, and how Yahweh caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended on him, and he appointed him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he gave in his hand. Now it happened that from the time he appointed him overseer in his house, and over all that, excuse me, and over all that he owned, Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the blessing of Yahweh was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's hand, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was beautiful in form and beautiful in appearance. 
And it happened after these events that his master's wife set her eyes on Joseph and said, excuse me, and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has given all that he owns into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So it happened that as he spoke to Joseph day as she I'm sorry as she spoke to Joseph day after day he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work. And none none of the men of the household were there inside. Then she seized him by his garment saying lie with me and he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. Now it happened when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, that she called to the men of her household and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. Now it happened that when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And she placed his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him these words, saying, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to laugh at me. And as, he ra- and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now it happened that when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But Yahweh was with Joseph and extended loving kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So the chief jailer gave into the hand of Joseph all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's hand because Yahweh was with him, and whatever he did, Yahweh made to succeed. Genesis 40 Now it happened that after these things the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard appointed Joseph as overseer over them, and he attended to them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, and behold, they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, saying, Why are your faces so sad today? Then they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Recount it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer recounted his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. 
Only remember me when it goes well with you, and please show me loving kindness by remembering me to Pharaoh and getting me out of this house. For I was in fact stolen from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the pit. And the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably. So he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days Pharaoh will lift up your head off of you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Thus it happened on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Genesis 41 Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And behold, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the reeds. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and thin, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly and thin cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He again fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven mm, sorry, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now it happened that in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh recounted to them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would bring to remembrance today my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. And we had a dream on the same night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his dream, of his own dream. Now there was with us a Hebrew youth, a slave of the captain of the bodyguard, and we recounted them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream, and just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph. And they rushed him out of the pit, and he shaved himself, and changed his clothes, and he came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. Yet I have heard it said about you that you hear a dream, and that you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will answer concerning the welfare of Pharaoh. All right. And now Matthew, we're going to be starting in verse tw- chapter 12, verse 46, through into chapter 13. So chapter 12, verse 46. Let me find that to get started. There we go. While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Now someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. 
But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. And Matthew 13, read through to verse 23. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell on the rocky place, places, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil, and were yielding a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered and said to them, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. All right. Now Psalm 17. This is a prayer of David. Hear a righteous cause, O Yahweh. Give heed to my cry of lamentation. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. May my judgment come from your presence. May your eyes behold what is upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tried me, and you find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men, by the word of your lips I have kept from the paths of the violent. 
My steps have held fast to your paths. My footsteps have not stumbled. I have called upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my speech. Marvelously show your loving kindness, O Savior, of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who from the wicked who devastate me, my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart, with their mouth they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us excuse me in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and as a young lion lurking in hiding places. Arise, O Yahweh, confront him, bring him low, protect my soul from the wicked with your sword, from men with your hand, O Yahweh, from men of the world, whose portion is in this life, and whose belly you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children, and leave their excess to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. All right, and finally, Proverbs 30, uh, the last three verses, verse 33 through 35. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked one, but he blesses the abode of the righteous, though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the humble. The wise will inherit glory, but fools raise up disgrace. All right. And then our closing prayer for this morning, again, uh, we're into the minister's prayers from Valley of Vision. This one is called a minister's preaching. And I know preaching, that must be for preachers. Still a good prayer for us. We all have a ministry. So let's pray. My master God, I am desired to preach today, but go weak and needy to my task. Yet I long that people might be edified with divine truth, that an honest testimony might be born for thee. Give me assistance in preaching and prayer, with heart uplifted for grace and unction. Present to my view things pertinent to my subject, with fullness of matter and clarity of thought, proper expressions, fluency, fervency, a a feeling sense of the things I preach, and grace to apply them to men's consciences. Keep me conscious all the while of my defects, and let me not gloat in pride over my performance. Help me to offer a testimony for thyself and to leave sinners inexcusable in neglecting thy mercy. Give me freedom to open the sorrows of thy people and to set before them comforting considerations. Attend with power the truth preached and awaken the attention of my slothful audience. May thy people be refreshed, melted, convicted, comforted, and help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnation and suffering that men might be made holy. I myself need thy support, comfort, strength, holiness, that I might be a pure channel of thy grace, and be able to do something for thee. Give me then refreshment among thy people, and help me not to treat excellent matter in a defective way, or bear a broken testimony to so worthy a Redeemer, or be harsh in treating of Christ's death, its design and end, from lack of warmth and fervency and keep me in tune with thee as I do this work. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you go out and have a wonderful day. Again, I would implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless.
Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the, let's see, Thursday, January 19th episode. That would be episode 141 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. And uh, let's go ahead and let's just jump right in. We're going to continue on in our study of John 4. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. The prayer we're going to do from Valley of Vision here to open up is called Penitence. Penitence. Let's pray. O Lord of grace, I have been hasty and short in private prayer. O quicken my conscience to feel this folly, to bewail this ingratitude. My first sin of the day leads me, leads into others, and it is just that thou shouldst withdraw thy presence from one who waited carelessly on thee. Keep me at all times from robbing thee, and from depriving my soul of thy due worship. Let me never forget that I have an eternal duty to love, honor, and obey thee, that thou art infinitely worthy of such, that if I fail to glorify thee, I am guilty of infinite evil, that merits infinite punishment. For sin is the violation of an infinite obligation. O oh, forgive me if I have dishonored thee. Melt my heart, heal my backslidings, and open an intercourse of love. When the fire of thy compassion warms my inward man, and the outpourings of thy spirit fill my soul, then I feelingly wonder at my depraving depravity and deeply abhor myself. Then thy grace is a powerful incentive to repentance, and an irresistible motive to inward holiness. May I never forget that thou hast my heart in thy hands. Apply to it the merits of Christ's atoning blood whenever I sin. Let thy mercies draw me to thyself. Wean me from all evil. Mortify me to the world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Animated by the humiliations of penitential love, my soul is often a chariot without wheels, clogged and hindered in sin's miry clay. Mount it on eagle's wings, and cause it to soar upward to thyself. Amen. All right, now our evening devotion for January 19th. The text is Luke twenty four forty five. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He whom we viewed last evening as opening scripture, we have per- we here perceive opening the understanding. In the first work he has many fellow laborers, but in the second he stands alone. Many can bring the scriptures to the mind, but the Lord alone can prepare the mind to receive the scriptures. Our Lord Jesus differs from all other teachers. They reach the ear, but he instructs the heart. They deal with the outward letter, but he imparts an inward taste for the truth by which we perceive its savor and spirit. The most unlearned of men become ripe scholars in the school of grace when the Lord Jesus by his Holy Spirit unfolds the mysteries of the kingdom to them and grants the divine anointing by which they are enabled to behold the invisible. Happy are we if we have had our understandings cleared and strengthened by the Master. How many men of profound learning are ignorant of eternal things? They know the killing letter of revelation, but its killing spirit they cannot discern. They have a veil upon their hearts which the eyes of carnal reason cannot penetrate. Such was our case a little time ago. We who now see were once utterly blind. Truth was to us so as beauty in the dark, a thing unnoticed and neglected. 
Had it not been for the love of Jesus, we should have remained to this moment in utter ignorance. For without his gracious opening of our understanding, we could no more have attained to spiritual knowledge than an infant can climb the pyramids or an ostrich fly up to the stars. Jesus' college is the only one in which God's truth can be really learned. Other schools may teach us what it is to believe, but Christ alone can show us how to believe it. Let us sit at the feet of Jesus and be earnest prayer, and by earnest prayer call in his blessed aid that our dull wits may grow brighter and our feeble understanding may receive heavenly things. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to continue on in our study of John 4. We've reached this new section. Um, couple nights ago i i termed it the messiah revealed it's from uh let's see starting in uh, john 4 verse 26 on through like verse 42 maybe a little further um and in this section we've seen broken down we've seen it broken down into basically five evidences that 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 show that christ is the son of god that christ is divine that he is god um incarnate but we've also picked out other things through it. Um, we've we've seen, um, you know, we, again, we saw Jesus declare um, that he was the Son of God. I who verse twenty six, I who speak to you, am that I am statement um, indicating he's God incarnate. And we went along, like I said, we this next section is broken into like five evidences, and the first was his his perfect control of the situation, his perfect management of the situation where we had seen they went the 20 miles, hard 20 miles in six hours from 6 a.m. to noon. And he was there at the well at noon, having sent the disciples away so he could be there alone to interact with the Samaritan woman. And he had it set so that he, just after he made that declaration, the disciples come back. And that in coming back, and like I mentioned at the time, these men who none of them were shrinking, shrinking violets, and most of them did not have a problem opening their mouth and trying to insert both feet, said nothing, said nothing. In a time and a place, and with the, the people involved, there should have been no conversation, but they said nothing. I mean, they've come and asked him stuff left and right that would indicate that they don't quite grasp what's going on. They don't quite grasp exactly who it is they're with. Even in some cases where they say it, that they didn't then do other things. Lord, you can't do that. Really? <laughs> you know, this is God incarnate. This is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But, but they do those kind of things, but they say nothing. And they're not there so that she's not confronted in front of a crowd. He addresses her sin in a one-on-one. -on -one. It's a one-on-one -on -one interaction. And then we saw the marks in verses 28 through 30, the mark that Jesus Christ and his testimony and his interaction with her that he had on her, that she turned around and dropped the temper right there, left her bucket right there. And again, we talked about how critical it was that water get back and forth, that water get to the house you know, this could be a life and death thing, but she left it there to take the message of the gospel to the town. And she was so driven by this, so marked by him 
that where she had developed a life of not interacting with anybody in that village. She went to the leading men of the village, or at least what we think she went to men in the village and we would assume it would be the leading men. That would, that would make sense. That would be the, the reasonable thing to do. But she goes to the men of the village and she is deferential. She doesn't, she's not confrontational. She's not, not lecturing. She's not, Hey, I saw it's, Come, verse 29, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Is this not the Christ? She lays out the fact that this man knows all the immorality that she has lived, all the sin that she has done. And she lays it out before these men that she's been trying to avoid. But then she differentially asks, is this not the Christ? Because she knows I'm not the person to be teaching anybody or necessarily witnessing to anybody. But I have this information and I need to bring it to these leading men and let them evaluate this. And they did. And she was so changed that it drove them to leave the city in the heat of the day, middle of the day, time when they didn't do this kind of stuff and were coming to Jesus. So we saw that mark that he made. So this evening we're dealing with the third of these. And in this, we see the close intimate relationship that Jesus has with the father, the close intimate relationship that again shows that he's the Christ, the son of God verses 31 through 34. And I'm going to go ahead and read them. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, rabbi eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So think back to verse six. Like I said, and like I brought up even, even this evening, Jesus and the disciples have knocked out 20 miles this morning from six to noon hiking it into the middle of the day. And, and the further they are, the hotter it's getting. And like I've mentioned before, and I, I don't do this to pat myself on the back, but I've been there. I've seen the kind of terrain they would have had to cross to do these 20 miles. It's brutal. That is a hard 20 miles. That is a hard 20 miles. And, 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 and it would be hard in hiking boots and the appropriate gear. Now, yeah, these people are used to living this way, but this is in tunics and robes and sandals. And they did 20 miles. This is not a stretch to assume. It's not a stretch to assume that Jesus is extremely hungry. We, we already got the indication in verse six that he is wearied. And like I told you um, at that time, the Greek there basically indicates that he is worn out. So it's not a stretch to assume that he's hungry. I mean, he's already asked her for water and we did, we did, you know, discuss the fact that obviously he did need water, but he also used that as an impetus to start the conversation with her, deal with the deal with the temporal and lead into the spiritual. I think truly though, 20 mile hike they had taken at this point, as hard as it had been, even in great shape, 
think famished is a word that's reasonable to use here, that he is famished to the point that he had sent the disciples. Now, of course, he is not abiding by man's institutions or anything like that, but he's hungry enough that he sent the disciples into Sychar to get food. And remember the issues between the Samaritans and the Jews, that they wouldn't even use the same utensils. But he sent them for food from them. He's that hungry. Now, at the same time, like I said, of course, he's not playing that because these Samaritans are his mission field. So he's not going to turn around and get his nose up in the air like, I mean, like Peter did. Think about it. Like Peter did when Paul called him out in Galatians. I think it was Galatians 2 where Paul called him out. Because, you know, Peter had come up to them and was doing all this and interacting with them. But when the party of the Judaizers showed up, all of a sudden Peter is distancing himself from the Gentiles. Jesus isn't doing that. This is the mission field. Jesus is not being that example. He's being the solid example. And as we've talked about through this time, he's being that solid example and considering them the mission field. But he's hungry. So they've returned. But they've returned, and they're now having to encourage him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, urging him. The Greek here actually implies begging and pleading with Jesus. Begging and pleading with him. How does that make sense? I mean, seriously, the guy's got to be, fam- I mean, truly has to be famished. I'm, I'm not, I mean, admittedly, it doesn't say that here in these verses, but I, I, Again, I'm, I don't feel like I'm trying to eisegete something, meaning try to put in something that's not there. I don't feel like I'm really trying to do that in here. With everything we know about what's going on here, he's he's got to be famished. But they're having to beg and plead with him to eat. But look at Christ's response in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Which, of course, confuses the disciples, as they're not yet at a point to grasp what has just happened. I mean, we see their response in 33. So the disciples were looking back and forth at each other going, has anyone brought him anything to eat? I mean, they didn't see any. I mean, Sychar wasn't a big town. You'd think they would know if somebody had come out there, but they're sitting there going, he's saying he's not hungry. We're having to beg and plead to try to get him to eat anything, and we know he needs it. I mean, otherwise, why would they be doing that? They know he needs the food temporarily. And they hadn't seen anybody bring anything out to him. I mean, immediately they saw the woman there, but there was no evidence that this woman had food. She had a bucket of water or she had a bucket. We would assume it was filled up because we would assume she gave him a drink. And of course, like I said, there were theologians that thought, oh, she left the bucket so we could continue to drink. We don't know that. There's no indication there. But they're having to beg and plead to get him to eat. But we see his response in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus makes clear, (coughs) I'm sorry, that his food is to do God's will and to accomplish God's work. Not just do it, but finish it which he had just completed with the Samaritan woman and is going to do even more when the people from Sychar arrive. Believe me, that woman's response, when she took off, like like I mentioned last evening, 
and and no, it doesn't say this, but it, like I said, the picture in my head was of her lifting the edge of her skirt up and high stepping it, you know, heading back across the desert, heading back across this area to get into Sychar to tell these people, this woman is saved. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in her. She's saved. You, you don't hit this point and think this woman, this Samaritan woman at the well is not saved. She's saved. He has completed the work of God. The, the Holy Spirit, you know, he bringing the gospel and the Holy Spirit, wor Spirit working. The work is done. And that has satisfied him. That's what he's referring to. Now think of a time when you've been so hungry that your stomach was growling so loud that everyone around you could hear it. And you felt like your stomach was trying to eat you up from the inside out. Now think of all that ceasing as you pour out the gospel to an unsaved sinner in need of the Messiah. That is what has happened here. Being fed by such works as these in the will of God shows an extremely close relationship between Jesus and God. A closest, closeness of relationship not possible for anyone else but the Son of God, the Messiah. Now, again, I, I'm going to have verses here that shows that we at the same time, that is an example for us, that we should truly be fed. We should spiritually be fed by doing this. That is how we are fed. That's one of the ways we are fed. But notice that closeness. He's fed. I mean, he's not resisting being fed food by them. Like I said, they're, they're having to plead and beg. He's not resisting just to resist and be silly. He's resisting because he's truly been satisfied. His hunger has been slaked by doing the work of God. What an amazing closeness that, that is, but what an amazing example that has to be to us because we true should be spiritually satisfied. We should be truly fed by doing the will of God. Yes, we should be fed by reading the word of God. We should be fed by prayer, but we should be fed by doing the will of God. And like we said, we should be fed by reading the word. But the thing is, you don't just read the word and it sit there dry and empty. The reading and the taking in of the word and the, and the getting down on your knees in your prayer closet and praying should feed you to the point that it flows out and you being obedient to the will of God and accomplishing his works, accomplishing his works. And that should feed and nourish you. If we are truly Christians, it should. We should have such a relationship, God, that we too are fed by doing his will and accomplishing his work. We should actually be ravenous to do God's will, such that we shove aside that which is of the flesh of the world, like, like the woman did, putting down the bucket. She was in such a hurry and so ravenous to do God's will that she put the bucket down and took off for town. Think about it. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Well, righteousness comes from 
behaving obediently to the will of God. It's the same thing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We should hunger for that. Jesus was hungering for that. That is how it satisfied him. We should hunger for that same thing. We should hunger to do God's will. John 6, 32 through 35, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven. They were asking for the bread, for the bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread, bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to us, said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Again, an indication that if we come to him, and that coming to him is being obedient to him, being obedient to God, being obedient to Jesus Christ, being obedient to the incarnate God, and doing his will and completing his work, we will not hunger and we will not thirst. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. That that is what should satisfy us. This again, they're looking for this bread, and they're not getting it, just like the apostles didn't. Did somebody bring him food? In verse 33, these people were the same way. But what Jesus said here, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. That's the same thing as Jesus in verse 34 here, John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. It's the same thing. We're truly fed by God, by his word and by doing his will, by being obedient to his will, his statutes and his commandments. That is what Jesus is telling them in John 6. And that is what he's saying here in John 4, 34, that his food is to do that. And, and by, and by, direct relationship, the disciples' will, food should be that. Our food should be that, to do his will. Um, even Revelation 7, 13 through 17, then one of the elders answered, saying to me, these clothed in the white robes, who are they and from where have they come? It was a rhetorical question. He's trying to get John to respond here in Revelation 7 in that, in that vision. And I said to him, my Lord, you know, And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his sanctuary. And he who sits on the throne will dwell over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will shepherd them and will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, again, he's not speaking there of of temporal hunger and temporal thirst. These are those that have been so obedient that they faced everything in the tribulation. And because of their walking in righteousness and because of them having a saving faith in Christ and walking in obedience to God. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And in, again, as Christ says here, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. These have done the will of God and have finished his work. 
And so they will hunger, verse 16, Revelation 7, verse 16, they will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore. And it goes on in 17, the, for the lamb at the center of the throne will shepherd them and will guide them to springs of the water of life. Again, those tribulation saints are fed by doing the work of God. They will hunger no more. That's got to be us. We've got to be truly fed by doing the will of God, by finishing his work. This is what Christ shows. Now, again, we're seeing how close this relationship is, how intimate this relationship is, but we're also seeing an example that we should be truly fed. We should hunger. We should be voracious to take in his word, the scripture and prayer, but to then to do his will, to do the work of God. It, it can't be an empty. I'm sorry. James two is very clear and I agree with it. And I don't think I, I think you can misunderstand it, but you got to understand it where he speaks of faith without works is dead. Yeah. Reading your Bible and praying and it not working out in you is death. It is dead. And thus you will be continually empty. You will be continually famished because you're not being fed by doing the will of him who sent me, who sent Christ and finishing God's work. And we are called to do so. This isn't a request. It is a command. And you and I must, must as Christians, must do so. Again, we must, it must be an attribute of we saints that we are voracious for the food of doing the will of God who sent Christ and to finish his work as Jesus shows here. All right, let's go ahead and close out with our fifth day evening prayer. It's called protection, protection. Let's pray. O Lord God, thou art our preserver, governor, savior, and coming judge. Quieten our souls to call upon thy name. Detach us from the influence of the flesh and the senses. Impress us with the power of faith. Promote in us spirituality of mind that will render our services acceptable to thee and delightful and profitable to ourselves. Bring us into that state which attracts thine eye and prepare us to receive the proofs of thy love. Show us our danger that we may fly to thee for refuge. Make us sensible of our sin's disease, that we may value the good physician. Placard to us the cross, that it may slay the enmity of our hearts. Help us to be watchful over our ways, jealous over our tempers, diligent over our hearts. When we droop, revive us. When we loiter, quicken us. When we go astray, restore us. Possess us with more of that faith which is the principle of all vital godliness. May we be rich in faith, be strong in faith, live by faith, walk by faith, experience the joy of faith, do the work of faith, hope through faith, perceiving nothing in ourselves. May we find in the Savior wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Amen. All right. Well, that's our time for this evening. Uh, I hope the time this morning and this evening, and I, I thank you again for spending it with me. I hope it is edifying and equipping for your walk in Christ. 
Um, and God willing, I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a great evening. God bless. Thank you.